Welcome to for everybody watching to the Behind the Geeks. As I said, this is the third episode, but it's not episode number three because we are taking things softly, softly. I'm still calling this episode, I don't know, 0.5 this time around because no, we're not at one yet. 0.5. We're still breaking things. And I, I think, I think as I was saying just before the show, I reckon probably the six-month mark we might be able to reach episode one. We've got a lot of fractions between now and then. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll break a lot of things between now and then. But anyway, uh, on last week's episode, we had a great chat all about mental health and things, challenges that go along with running an MSP and owning an MSP and just being a general business owner and some of the, the stories that we'd been through. And it was an awesome chat. All of us on here shared a couple of vulnerable stories and whatnot. And if you haven't checked that one out, go back to the previous episode and, and go and have a watch of it. If you are new to this show, make sure you go and smash the the subscribe button and the, the like button inside YouTube that we're going to be primarily pushing this out from YouTube. We will go and make sure it gets announced on things like our LinkedIn's and stuff like that. But the primary area we will be announcing these things is on YouTube. Uh, but the format that we go through each week is a little bit of news up front that's relevant to MSPs. And then we deep dive into a particular topic. And all four of us on the show have all got a a wealth of wisdom and experience in the MSP space from breaking a lot of things and doing things the wrong way and learning a lot of lessons. And so we just jump on this show and we we babble on about the, the lessons that we learned and the mistakes we made and the wins that we had uh, in the hope that it's going to help some others out there either avoid doing the stupid stuff that we all did uh, and learn from some of the wins that we also had out there. So this week's topic, we're going to be diving into finances and money and cash and all that fun stuff that hopefully comes along with running a successful business. Uh, but before that, let's dive into a little bit of news. Where's our news button over here? The first thing that we had on the radar to talk about this week that's been popping up in a few conversations is something around Microsoft incentives changing for, for people that are in the CSP world or reselling Office 365. And Scott, did you want to, you, you know a little bit about that one. Did you want to dive in slightly and, and give us a quick rundown of what that means and, and what conversations you're seeing in the MSP marketplace and whether they're the right type of conversations? That you're having out there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've seen we've seen some new incentive plans come out from October first onwards, and so what they're introducing now, and I think this is all kind of gearing up to that new commerce experience that got pushed back from October now to March before it's going to kick in. But the oh, I nearly choked. Uh, there's some <laughs> new um, minimum thresholds. So what they're asking now is that for you to be a, or for you to be in the incentives program for. Uh, an indirect reseller. So if you did get paid that Brucey bonus money is that you need to be having at least a revenue of $25,000. So that's in the previous 12 months, you have to have sold at least $25,000 worth of licenses. Now, I've seen some friction on that where people have gone, whoa, 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 hold the phone. The, the previous barrier to entry was only $200. <laughs> um, and now it's $25,000. Um, that's a big leap. That's a massive leap. But I mean, I've been looking at this and look, I'll be really candid with anyone who's watching today. We currently do about 12,000 pounds, call that about $15,000 right, per month in CSP revenue. It's not a lot. It's not a big part of our business, but that, that's what we do. Incentives for us are worth about 600 pounds. Again, call that about $800 a month. It's not huge, right? It's, it's a day of consulting. It's a day of professional services. It's, it's not a big money spinner for us. So like the, the the friction seems to be well, oh my god you know Microsoft are kind of you know pushing the boundaries here for it to be twenty five thousand dollars minimum before you get paid any incentives. Well, if you break that down on a, a twelve month basis, it's like two thousand bucks a month. It's not it's not a huge amount of licenses that you have to do. And to be honest, it's probably only worth at that stage 
$200 a month in your pocket if you reach that $25,000 minimum threshold. So actually, if you know, if we've got some of the partners saying, hey, you know, this, this is a hurdle for us to get over, I've got to be honest, if you're under $25,000, you know, trailing revenue on CSP, you're not going to get that much in incentives anyway. It's And, and it is Brucey bonus money. But what it makes me think of is that if you are still an MSP who is looking at you know, that bonus money of incentives, the margin that you're making on licenses and that little bit that we get, those are things that can be taken away at any stage. You know, Microsoft are fully in control of shifting the goalposts and they do. I remember clearly when we used to do in one of my previous businesses, we do about 250,000 a month in SPLA revenue and 250,000 a month in CSP. And so incentives each month was a big deal. And they came along and they said, hey, you know what, we're going to chop the incentives in half now. So on Splar, it's 50-50. You get 50% of it in cash, and the other 50% you have to spend in co-op activities, MDF funds. And now they've done the same with CSP. It's 60% cash, 40% MDF funds. Now, for us, that was a big, oh, hang on, you've just taken half our money away each month. But again, we didn't build our business around the margins and the incentives because that's, that's, that's not in your control. So what I'd urge people to do is if you are – Looking at this and saying, hey, that's money that's coming out of my pocket. I think you're looking in the wrong place. I think you've got to be looking at where can I add value in my stack? What are those managed services I can be you know, getting real money for? Because that's all the stuff that you use your time and your expertise for that you don't have an outbound cost to anyone. So this is this is where you're going to make your money. Yeah. So not an overarching like gut feeling through lots of MSPs. So I'm, I'm hearing it from a lot of different people. I don't know if you recall, was it last year or the year before where they tried changing the, the actual yeah. incentives and they removed all of that as well and they actually took it away and then put it back, was it a month or two yeah. later? Because yeah, of the, uh, the they got the kickback. Yeah. Kind of just that feels was the, like uh, are trying to screw their partners at the moment. Yeah, I think, I, I, I don't disagree, if I'm honest. I think... <laughs> The, the focus is clearly, and I, look, I'm a, I'm a Microsoft fanboy, but <laughs> I've, I've had to shift from this world where I was I was a big deal uh, in one of the service providers that I worked for, and I would you know be meeting Claire Barkley on a face to face basis. Hey, Claire, how's it going? Um, and and now I'm like in this tiny little MSP, and we don't matter, right? At this level, we don't matter. But even at that bigger level, there was always a struggle for having the right amount of partner managers to manage the right number of of important partners and put the focus there. I think a lot of the changes are positive. If you look at some of the big distributors, they've been printing money on incentives just because they were selling the licenses and distributing them. And so there's had to be a change in the competency side of things of being a gold or a silver partner that isn't just financially based. It's got to be based around actual competencies and delivering projects. And I've seen some of that change because that's that, you know, Microsoft are always looking at it going, geez, we're spending a lot on incentives. We're incentivizing our partners to sell an awful lot of this stuff. But let's be honest, we are leading the market with. So we're paying people. This reminds me of when like Pepsi and Coke used to advertise on TV. I'm like, why do you guys need to advertise your Pepsi and Coke? People are buying <laughs> your stuff anyway. And it's like what happens with Microsoft is every year, every July, they, they look at the numbers, they look at the climb and say, right, what do we want people to focus on next? That's where we're going to spend the incentive dollars and we're going to dwindle down these other parts. You know, the big change that came last year was for the Azure um, new commerce experience. So they wanted everyone to move to the new Azure program or Azure plan, sorry. If you are still on the old one, if you've still got customers on the old one, come January, you won't get any incentives on that because you haven't moved to the new experience. Now, the new plan needed you to be a gold partner. And for you to be a gold partner, you have to have $100,000 for only 12 months. So these things are, are constantly coming in and they're pushing the boundaries. Now, I genuinely wish it wasn't related to financial spend 
I'm a big fan of things like the Azure MSP Expert Program, which says, hey, you have 15 qualified people in your organization who've passed all these exams, and you can evidence that you've delivered a number of projects that customers signed off on. That's the right way for competencies for me. And, and like I say, I think all these incentives and Brucey bonuses things, they're nice, but that's not how I build my business. Uh, yeah. Because I know that Microsoft have got one goal, and that is for them to make money. And yeah. so yeah. I, I need to make money for my business. As a, um, as a smaller MSP, as a nimble MSP, it, hmm. it feels like all the incentives are very heavily weighed towards the much larger MSPs that can do the turnover yeah. and do the business. I remember there was, who was it now? I think it was Mimecast. Um, you know, I've resold Mimecast over the years, and the incentives you get through all close a close a thousand seats um you know in instance and we'll give you some like give you some money and put some cash in your pocket. it's like a thousand seats i you know i dream of closing a thousand seat deal <laughs> yeah, yeah. but we get like tens and twenties and fifties and like that that's kind of, that's the level we're at so yeah. pretty, it does feel no, like I, you're kind of being squeezed totally out agree. the edge <laughs> yeah it's, and i think that like i said that's that mental shift i had to make was like we're not a big deal msp you know with this small like you say nimble msp where we're moving around now where we are growing but most of this stuff doesn't apply to us. And I, I, I can look at it one of two ways. I can stomp my feet and go, hey, it's not fair. You know, I, I want some of these Brucey bonuses. Or I can look at how I can make money. And, and that's what we've had to do for the last two years because I've, I've had to go through that same mindset of going, I know that there are partners out there who are friends with the right people in Microsoft and get given like all the, the really nice Microsoft projects. And, and it's funded by Microsoft. Here's $50,000 that the customer has to spend. Microsoft are funding the $50,000. And because we're friends, I'm giving it to you. True story. Actually happens. Happens all the time. That's and I look at that and go, hey, well, I could deliver that project. Yeah, I, yeah. But I, you know, I would love that $50,000 project. I could do that in my sleep. But we don't get that because we're not in the right circles. And, and here's the thing, when you look at it from a government perspective as well, if you zoom out to looking at governments, the way that they control behavior in their constituencies is via incentivization, like taxes. And so to, to incentivize like uh, a state or a, a country that needs more property and more real estate, they will go and give building rebates out there. And it's the same with Microsoft. They're trying to incentivize the right behavior in their partners. And to do that, they have to go out and put in the right incentives, whether that's a tax or whether it's an incentive or a rebate or whatever it is, it's all about controlling mass behavior. And and you put in the right incentives, you then control the behavior via the incentive, not via training and education, which we know is the slow road to incentives. Put dollars there, that's going to push behavior and it's going to push people in the right direction. And, and with taxes, you put the taxes up, everybody screams, right? But it, it makes behaviors shift. It makes people go and make decisions in there. And that's how governments work is by figuring out how to make behaviors shift via incentives and taxes out there. And, the thing um, about Microsoft, we like, we've been partnering with them for over the last 20 years in one uh, shape or form. Their attitude towards partners waxes and wanes given the where phase the moon is in. It's like, we, you know, uh, Pete mentioned it earlier. What was it last year? They made some changes and then there was a massive uproar. There was online petitions, protests, <laughs> and they rolled it back. So, yeah, exactly to what Scott said, you know, it comes to the financial year or whatever. They look and see how they're going to readjust it. They take a knee-jerk reaction. And then things get readjusted after they've heard from the market. So, you know, back when I was uh, using BPOS, the business productivity online mm. suite, and I mean, even that, before man. that, before we had hosted, Microsoft still behave this way towards their partners. So I think it's part and parcel of being a Microsoft partner. That's the first thing. So don't mm. think this is set in stone. It could easily change tomorrow or the day after. Uh, I think the second thing is, from my perspective, exactly what Scott said. If you are working with Microsoft purely for the margins, and there's some big businesses that do that. 
purely for the incentives, and it is making a big dent in your managed service provider income, these changes, you need to change your model because you can't be relying on that. That should be, as Scott refers to it as a Brucey bonus, gravy. It should be something nice on top of what you are doing, but it shouldn't be your core business because you know either you pile them high and shift them cheap, which very few people can actually do, or you add value to the relationship. And that's where the real money's made. And third, I posted about this to LinkedIn this morning. You know, this was, it's amazing how much the IT industry goes in a cyclical sort of motion here. The same thing's happening again and again. Does anybody remember Small Business Server? When that was removed and everybody was like, oh my God, it's the end of the world. What are we going to do? Microsoft have killed my business. No, there was alternatives. There was alternatives then. There's alternatives now. So while everybody talks about Microsoft 365, there's you know packages out there from OneStack, from Cortec. There's uh, Linode. Have got there's you know MailDemon. There's all different sorts of products out there. Microsoft is not the only player in, in town. I know they're the biggest, but they're not the only player. And so, if you're really really pissed off with Microsoft at this point. Go and have a look at what else is going on in the market because there is a lot of stuff. And being an MSP does not equal being a Microsoft partner. They are not, you know, they're compatible, but they are not exclusively what you need to do. There's others out there. I'll get off my soapbox now. (laughs) I think to sum that whole thing up is if you're a nimble MSP and you're focusing on incentives and and margin that you're making on these things, you're 100% focused on the wrong thing. You've just got to look at that stuff as icing on the cake, the beer money at the end of the year, whatever you happens to be. You've got to make your money, as we've all said, on the, the service and the value that you add to the, the stack on the way through. And, and that sums up the whole conversation. I think just shift your focus elsewhere. If you, you are worrying about that stuff, worry about something else. Worry about how you're going to, to build a better stack or build a better offering or, or figure out a way to add some business process value to your clients instead. End of Let's end our rant on that one because I think we all very well agree on that one. The other one in here in the news items that I had in here, and it's I actually don't have a very specific piece of news that I've seen about this, but it's just I am seeing it more and more and more. And it's either my confirmation bias or it's real, but I'm seeing loads of MSPs signing far more deals than they've ever signed in the past throughout the US, Australia, the UK, inside, especially inside our tribe. And um, and I'm seeing it as a shifting in the marketplace of people or in, in the environment at the moment of people coming back and buying more. And so my bit of news there is that the market is moving. The MSP market is moving. Deals are being closed and big deals are being closed and awesome deals are being closed. And these really well-structured deals are being closed every single day at the moment. And they're closing quick and fast and people are, are signing on to the managed service agreement plans like crazy at the moment. So I don't know if you guys are seeing that at all in the, the people that you're working with, but I'm seeing this momentum build of just lots and lots and lots of, of good movement from the MSPs that are out there and actually putting in the work to, to go and, and prospect and do some marketing and get some sales happening and whatnot. They're really getting results really well and really quickly and really good deals. I'm hearing nimble MSPs closing and $10,000, $15,000 per month managed service agreement deals fairly regularly, which is awesome. I love seeing. I don't know what you guys are seeing. Oh, I, think yeah. that, I think you're absolutely right. It's amazing. And, you know, what's... What's interesting is I had a couple of conversations recently with uh, with some investors and they were saying, hey, do you think like because we've had like the, the global pandemic and there was this big shift of everybody needing MSPs really quickly to, you know, enable remote working and all that kind of stuff. Oh, sorry, I'm dying. And then like following on from that. I'll be back. I'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> He's so well, excited that he's choked. Technical issues. I've dropped out. Pete's dropped out before. 
Now Scott's human computer is failing him, so yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you need to reboot your audio uh, input. <laughs> I do. It's uh wow. Yeah, man flu. Oh. Um where was I? So yeah, so they were saying, look, you know, um the MSP world has just gone through this huge influx of work thanks to the pandemic. And then even again, just subtly after that, everyone was kind of doing that. Did we move everything too quickly? Let's check out the security, let's make sure you know all our data safe and we're really happy. Is it gonna slow down? Are you seeing a slowdown? Because we're thinking of investing in some some MSPs, and we're thinking of you know buying those up to create a portfolio. Do <laughs> thank you. Yeah, I could do with a reboot. Um, do we think it's going to slow down? And I'm like, no. Everything that we're seeing from the partners that we work with tell me that it's actually accelerating. You know, we we had a bit of a slowdown over the summer holidays, as you'd expect. It kind of work was in, and then July and August. Maybe it's the winter holidays, Nigel, but uh, it, it, July and August, you know, it kind of calmed down, but we still had work in the pot. But now the hopper is just filling right back up. And again, we primarily work with other MSPs. So it's those guys that are super busy that are then saying, hey, you know, we need some help or some extra hands. Can you, can you, can you do, can you do? It's really exciting. And I, I'm, I'm just really, you know, I'm so happy to see uh, my gut feel you know, coming out the back of the pandemic was what we've actually learned in business in general, you know, in the public eye is that IT projects don't have to take six months, 12 months, 18 months. We can be really nimble and we can be really good at the same time. And, And being quick doesn't mean taking too many risks. So you can achieve these projects really quickly if you work with the right partners. And so I'm just, I'm so happy to see that it's just, it's flying along, you know. I'm it's amazing what happens when countries print trillions of dollars, right? <laughs> it's being spent everywhere. Right? And that, that's, a, that's a bit of a warning sign in that as well, right? Like that, that spending is not going to happen forever because I, I hope that we're not going to go into hyperinflation. But, um, but with inflation as high as it is, money's flowing a lot more than what's necessary. And so, so now is a time to, to take it while it's, there, but make sure that you're not overextending and making decisions thinking that this money is always going to be floating around because things are inevitably going to get tighter again. This is a pretty crazy bull yeah. market that's unprecedented out there in the whole world. And so you've got to, you've got to kind of be careful during this process as well to, to not get too hyped up in all the, the, the cash that's flowing around there. Well, linking link this into the... Um, with, um, sorry, Pete, go ahead. I was, I was just going to say, linking this into the, like the finance topic as well, there's M&A, there's a ton more in M&A activity going yeah. on, mergers and acquisitions. Um, so many people I'm speaking to are being approached, giving offers, very good offers as well. Um, so like you say, in, in this kind of bull run of hyperinflation or potential hyperinflation, it's it's not going to last forever. And actually, some of these offers, yeah. for some MSPs, make a lot of sense to, to grab yeah. those offer there and, uh, and take, take the opportunity. Because the private equity firms are getting really cheap money. So they're able to buy it at overly inflated yeah. multiples of, of for people at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, just quickly, think- I've just noticed just uh, another tech drama. The YouTube channel that we've got is... Is it just me that if I try and refresh it, it's not live? Like it's just sitting there saying four people waiting on it. Maybe either I've used the wrong link. Oh, there's there's two links apparently. Apparently there's I shared two the links, wrong link yeah. on YouTube. Oh, yeah. right. So there is another link. Right. Okay. There there is. Is. You, might, you might want to reshare it. But yeah, we, I, I had Ben saying to me, oh, there's eight people waiting. We can't We can't see. And I'm like, we're live. Oh, weird. Um, so yeah, there must all be these link. links. Like we've got all these links <laughs> and we're all using the wrong ones. I wish there was just one link that we could click on to copy. Anyway, you think we'll figure all this stuff out by episode you have to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have to find the other link. If people really want to watch this, they will find us. They That's will. it, yeah. <laughs> it's, worth, it's worth the expedition. It's like They uh, will knock on our front doors and hang out live. That's probably the, the, the safest route than relying on technology. 
Pete, I was and, just and is this make... one going out on a podcast, uh, Nigel? What's what's the plan with the podcast? Yeah, so the podcast, I'm planning that we'll get maybe three or four of these episodes under wraps so that we can launch a podcast with three or four episodes in it from day dot. Because normally with podcasts, you like to, you, you've got to get a couple in the bag before you go and launch. You don't want to launch with just one episode. If we want to get up on those new and noteworthy things that are on some of the things. So so in the next week or two or three, we'll get that podcast loaded up with all of these back episodes in. And then once we get in that cadence, the podcast will go up within a couple of days after we do the live stream. So if you want to subscribe to this over in Stitcher or iTunes or whatever the heck it is, you can go and do it from over there as well. You just don't get to see our lovely faces. And um, and as in our beautiful backgrounds, Nick said he's got background jealousy there. <laughs> Richard, we're going to need to get you some neon lights sometime soon. I'm not. I mean, Nick says, you know, get on board with these cool, hip, trendy young people. Look, <laughs> I've got an Atari in the background here. That tells you all you need to know, Nick, about what I think about modern trends. There's an Atari oh, there. There's a bookshelf there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Spectrum. I've got those oh, just, off, just off camera. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Retro Computing Show. We have now switched <laughs> from MSP Talk to Commodore 64s and Ataris. Where but also just I in case to... anybody thought this was fake. <laughs> I wanted to make a, a genuine point about something we were talking about with the, the, the bigger deals that are going through as well. So I was speaking to uh, Vera Tucci, who runs a, a company called T Consulting uh, out of Italy, a really um, you know a successful MSP out of Italy. And she said over the last couple of years, they have seen a massive increase in the amount of business they're getting with co-managed IT, or yeah. what we used to call like, us old times called downstream IT. Yeah. So if we rewind, uh, and, and Vera and her husband, Matteo, were ahead of the curve as usual. Um, they got a fantastic business. But if we rewind before the pandemic, MSPs were like, no, none of the internal IT departments wanted to speak to MSPs whatsoever because they were fearful of losing their job to it. And probably rightly so, MSPs can do what an internal IT team does better, faster, and cheaper. But when then the pandemic hit and all of these internal IT teams, or the majority of them, did not have the in-house skills. They don't know what RMM tools are. They didn't have the skills to like scale up and work all hours. And so suddenly MSPs started to become not so scary an option to partner with. Mm. So yeah, as well as those bigger deals, Nige, you know, I'm seeing co-managed IT, something that MSPs are starting to have conversations about again. So I'm going to do a call out to uh, Bob Coppedge, one of our Tech Tribe members. If yeah. if you are getting in, and interested in looking at the co-managed space for um, if you're an MSP, then go and check out his book, uh, The MSP Owner's Survival Guide to Co-Managed IT, I think it's called. And it's on um, Amazon and it just walks you through. He does a lot of co-managed in his MSP, like lots and lots. And he walks you just through all the mistakes he's made and the lessons he's learned in there. But what he also did was that whole... Um, notion of the the internal IT teams being scared of the MSP because they think they're going to replace the jobs. He went and wrote a book called I Don't Want Your Job. That's exactly the whole purpose of it is for an MSP to take it out to these these people that they're trying to close a, a deal with and say, hey, like we're not here to replace you guys. We're here to augment you guys. And this this little book here that serves as a little marketing piece and a positioning piece goes in into pretty short detail, but quick. It's a little, tiny little read to just help them feel comfortable that, that these people are coming in to partner with us, not to, to go and replace our jobs. And that co-managed, I think I saw Nick on the call here. I know he's got a number of co-managed deals yeah. um, out here in Australia. And I'm, I, again, it's another one that I'm seeing, I'm pretty bullish on, and I'm seeing it pop up left, right, and center in the marketplace is those mid-tier companies, not the SMBs. SMBs or the S of the SMBs are typically outsourced completely to a 
managed service provider because they don't have the budget at all for internal IT. But when they're in that 100 to 300 seat space, maybe 500 seat space, that that work together, that co-managed IT is such an awesome relationship because the MSP can bring all these amazing channel-only tools that, that the company can't get access to themselves and the escalation support and all of this SLA stuff that the internal company can't get to. And they can just deal with the boring commoditized level one help desk stuff in there and they can work. There's such great agreements when you can knock them out properly. Yeah. So I'm, I'm shout out to Bob Coppedge if you want to go and check out his book, go and find it. The subject to the help desk as well, many of these uh, mid-sized uh, IT um, departments within big businesses do not have a really good help desk tool. So they yes. are stuck yeah. with enterprise level help desk tools that just suck, you know, <laughs> and they pay a fortune for them. Yep. So one of the ways you can have a conversation with them as well is say, oh, let me introduce you to Atera or Autotask or whatever it might be you're using as your PSA tool. And their eyes are going to light up and go, oh, okay. And we can pass tickets backwards and forwards mm. and we can use that internally. Yeah. So have a conversation with your PSA vendors as well about, yeah. you know, sort of selling that as a tool in. It's not a big market, but there's definitely a market there. Yeah. That, that downstream, what it was, I think it was called downstream IT or streamline yeah, IT in, in one of the tools yeah. that we used. And we started yeah, using yeah, it streamline. way back in the early days, just as it came out. And it was pretty icky back then, but they, they improved it pretty quickly. And we were able to do yeah. that, that two-way ticket flow between on-site contacts that we had there and they loved it it was it was easy to just say hey i'm struggling with this ticket escalate to, to nigel's company and and it was a great little way to, to get these little relationships going so definitely agree cool oh i was just reading the chat the, richard uh... wanted to talk about commit <laughs> which we just did i talked about commit <laughs> i saw <laughs> i'm a bit late on the chat or oh, downstream it as i call it because i'm old school right <laughs> So should we move on to the the topic of today's show, which is um, just centrally around finance. So all sorts of finance from investing, managing, pensions, capital allocation, options for your staff. Where do you want to start? Should we we start with the the managing ways of managing money? Because I know that Profit First is a very big and widely known kind of version of managing money. I think, Nigel, you mentioned that Profit First gets to a certain stage and then there's another way of, of kind of doing things. So shall I run through Profit First briefly? And then do you want to kind of take the lead on, on where it goes Go next? For it. Yeah, absolutely. So Profit First is a book by Mike Michalowicz, called, literally called Profit First. And the idea is that you are segregating your money every single month. So you take, say you're earning 50K, maybe you're turning over 100K a month. You take that 100K and then you separate that out. So maybe 80% of that stays in your main bank account because that's what you need to pay for your staff, for everyone else, for all your outgoing costs, for your RMM tools. The bulk of that cost stays in that that account. However, the other accounts, you start slowly filtering money down to things like a profit account, to a staff uh, a, a staff kind of outings account. Maybe you've got your pensions account in there. You've got a tax account to pay for your you know, corporation tax. Maybe your VAT or whatever other taxes you've got going on. And you basically segregate all of your kind of money apart so that so we we had a an office equipment fund, and so over time the office equipment fund would fill up. So when we wanted to buy a new laptop. And we could literally look at our bank account and go, oh, we've got a few thousand in there. We can afford to buy the laptops because we know all the other money is taken care of in our taxes, taken care of pensions, like everything else is taken care of. So with Profit First, it certainly for, for my business, we still do it today in my various businesses now. I still do it even personally today. It, it's fantastic because it's taking a little bit out of what you're earning every single month and putting it away for a rainy day. And then when you need it, it's all there for you. You don't have to second guess it. Because before we were doing Profit First, it was very much one bank account. You kind of go, you need to buy something. You go, oh, well, I think the bank doesn't really <laughs> drop below that much. But we've got a corporation tax bill coming out. We've got PAY. We've got all this stuff coming out. 
not sure if I can afford it. It fixes all of that. You can just look at your bank balance and know straight away what you can afford. And the whole kind of premise behind the profit first thing with Mike McCallowitz is when you go and have that accountant meeting with your your yearly accounts meeting where they go, you've made like a 50 grand profit this year, 100 grand profit. And you go, great, great, great. Where is it? Uh, you, you've spent it already. <laughs> okay. Uh, and it, it fixes all of that because then again, you're putting the profit money away. And actually for, for the year and the past 18 months we've just had as well, it it would have been and is fantastic for that because essentially the profit money it builds up as a rainy day fund. You do you do do take some profit personally and take it back to you, but actually lots of that stays within the business to build that rainy day fund. So if you have a quiet month or COVID twenty twenty two hits, whatever it is, then you've got the money saved there so you can survive for at least a few months to reduce you know cover your overheads, cover your staff, and whatever you can do. So that works, and I I found that works really really well. I'm interested to know what Nigel's opinion because. I feel like it can scale, but uh, you, I think you have a different opinion. So uh, no, let me know it, more. I love Profit First, so, and we used to do a bit of it in our MSP. But what what I find generally is is you get to a point where you do then have to really understand a P&L and a balance sheet and a cash flow statement. Uh, you get to a point in business where those things do really make a lot more sense than the Profit First side. And and so when you're talking, when you're like 5 mil or you're 10 mil or you've got a high, much higher cost of goods or whatever, you start to really understand and analyze your P&L. And all of that data is actually on a P&L and a balance sheet as well. You just got to know how to how to lay it out properly in there. And then you can you can manage that system and scale it again without the overhead of having to have all these different bank accounts managing it. And, and so I, I'm, I'm all for, I think, most businesses up to... And I'm going to throw a number at the wall here, but up to kind of the three to five mil mark, it can work incredibly well for, incredibly well. And that's that's where to do it. Once you get over that, then you'll start going, oh, I kind of need a little bit more data than this. And now I need to, if I if I don't truly understand how to read financials properly and a, a cash flow statement and align it with a PL and figure out how it works out with my balance sheet and line that all up together, you're going to start to struggle to get from that kind of three mil to 10 mil or whatever you're trying to go to next. And so that's what I mean by scaling is i think you go you get to a point where you, you kind of outgrow the ba- the simplicity of it but that's not to say that you still can't use most of the principles because the underlying part of it is like as you said pete it's the thinking that the profit is first like that philosophy that's the really important part of it and coming up with your your pricing and your plans and your packaging and everything with a profit first mentality versus a cost plus mentality is that's the philosophy i love out of the whole thing and whether you do it via the individual bank accounts, whether you learn to read your financials far deeper than than what most people might start off with, it doesn't matter. But if you've got that underlying philosophy in there of of knowing that everything you do in business, you're, you're piling that profit in first, and you're you're setting it aside, and you're, you're making sure that it's calculated properly. That's that's what it's all about. And I'm a big fan of it. Mike's got done a, a great job on it. It's got a great following. I know he was on your podcast, Richard. Um, you and I yeah, hung out I with him over in. Santa Barbara, you and I were together we did, in Santa yeah. Barbara, weren't we, Nigel? And uh, I actually, <laughs> really weird one, uh, Mike and I actually lay on my bed in the hotel room <laughs> and the podcast together. So uh, that was a good one. Um, that yeah, was prost as you were vomiting everywhere too, wasn't it? And then a- afterwards, it was nothing to do with Mike. <laughs> nothing to do with Mike. But Profit First, for anybody n- not familiar with it, if you come from a working class background uh, like I do, you might remember your mom and dad uh, doing finances using the envelope system. Yes, so yeah. dad, dad came home with the money, gave the salary across mom <laughs> into different envelopes. I'm being really old school about this again. Uh, but then the envelopes just went towards, one went towards rent, one went towards this, one went towards the other. You know, that's that's pretty much the way it works. And Profit First works exceptionally well if you don't really understand the finances within your business because so many MSP owners put themselves last 
So they pay all the bills, they invest, they don't worry about chasing clients for bills. And then you speak to them, you say, well, how much money are you making this year? And they're like, "Uh, next to nothing. Yeah. Profit first is about what it says on the label. Profit first, you know, not only being profitable, but making sure you get paid and you're running a sustainable business. So, yeah, I did a podcast interview with Mike McCallagher. It's really, really smart guy. And uh, yeah, just a big fan of the profit first methodology. Yeah, you you so you're just sharing a spreadsheet then, Pete. That's one of yeah. your. This is just basically go. a quick sample of. Obviously, uh, for those of you that are listening, you won't be able to uh, see what, what I'm sharing. But essentially, this just gives you an idea that you you know you got 50k coming through your business every single month. If you divvy that up between all the various accounts, well, now all of a sudden you have a marketing budget. You know, this is something I started uh, doing was I didn't have a marketing budget. Well, just start taking one percent of your monthly turnover. That's your marketing budget. Similarly, with you know staff bonuses, office equipment, pension account, it just starts putting this small amount away um, to to save up for it. And the thing with tax, that that's beautiful. Like if we if you get to the end of your year, you get the tax bill come through, and you go, cool, I've got it all saved up already. It's, it's not a problem. Whereas the number of people I come across that get stung with the tax bill because they don't realise how much it's going to be, and then have to go and find the money or find a deferred payment method, and it, it just it just makes so much more sense. The question it's, it's Parkinson's law, right? It's um, yeah. as things just always take up the amount of like if, if we don't have those systems in place to allocate that stuff, it will go somewhere else. Parkins, it's like yeah. when we allocate our time. If we don't fill up our yeah. time completely, it gets filled up by other things. One so one side note of of that is that when you understand the figures properly, you can actually be more generous in other areas. So you can be more generous mm-hmm. with your staff. What we found was. Um, we'd always made a commitment to give to charity, to give to local charities and, and to donate to nonprofits. Um, and when we looked at what we were actually giving and feeling generous about it against what we were actually making, we were like, holy cow, we can give a lot more. So we consistently give one, one and a half percent of our turnover now as uh, uh, you know donations to charity. So it's not just about helping you make more profit. It's what you can yeah. do with that money as well. And the, the thing is, it's all of that stuff, like the budgeting and everything is all stuff that a small business owner should do anyway. This The profit first process just simplifies the process of it. Creating a budget based on actuals and, and forecasted on a P&L is something that every business owner should be able to do. And it's one of the things that I'm a firm believer that everyone that's before they start a business should go through basic financial fundamentals just to understand what is a cash flow statement, what is a P&L, what is a balance sheet, and how do I roll out a budget. And and Profit First is a very, very, very simple way to help you get started on that budgeting journey and and get dip your toes in the water of it. So question here, for those MSPs who are saving, you've got a little pot of money in there, would you invest it in something or would you just <laughs> keep it there? And NFTs. this is the question like i know if quite a few mfps and actually i joked about this in in my younger years of i should just take all my savings and chuck it in bitcoin i'd be a very wealthy man right now if i did (laughs) um um, i I know a lot of msps that are and they've actually taken their savings sat in the business and put it into cryptocurrency and and in other things and you know property of course is probably a more common one you buy your offices you're in maybe create a pension fund and invest it through that so you can earn that and that's like a retirement fund for you but so, yeah, what, what are your thoughts about kind of taking that money that's safe and su- sat there for the rainy day versus investing it into obviously risky, potentially risky things? I think every every person's got their their spot where they're comfortable with how much money's in their company bank account. Like that spot of if sh- crap hit the fan, how much money do I really need to, to sit around? And, and often it's not as much as what people think. I hear some MSPs where I speak to them and they go, oh, I've kind of got a year's worth of of expenses sitting in the bank account for a rainy day. And I go, well, do you really need that much? Is that a really good allocation of your capital? Because the reality is 
what's going to happen in your business for you to go from whatever your revenue is now to zero for a 12-month period? Like whatever that is, that's got to be pretty drastic. And so you're probably poorly allocating your capital there. You've probably got too much sitting in a bank account doing nothing because you're not earning any interest on it at the moment. You could be going and deploying it elsewhere into something personal. You might go and take it out of the business to go and do some personal investment. Or, or there's a lot of companies nowadays, especially bigger companies nowadays, are starting to put these alternative investment methods onto their treasure and onto their balance sheet. Things like there's, there's tons of um, services now that allow you to hold Bitcoin on your company's balance sheet pretty easily. And it's risky to a degree, but so is holding cash in a bank account when you've got inflation levels that we've got at the moment. That's also risky. And so to me, I think every, every person out there has got to figure out where they're comfortable and figure out where that line is drawn. And, and as I said, it's often less than what you believe it is. You've got to, we're all trying to think about the worst, 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 worst case out there, but what's the worst, 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 worst case that you're not going to have any revenue for 12 months? Like the chances of that happening are, are so ridiculous. I mean, if, so if sure, we might have a 30% drop you, or a, a 40, sorry, what was that, Pete? If last year didn't do it to you, then it's probably very unlikely it's going to happen. Yeah, correct. And what, what happened last year, right? Like MSPs, mm. we're pretty protected from it. But even, uh, and obviously we're talking to MSPs on this show, so we're heavily weighted towards that. But most MSPs, I don't think I ever heard of any that dropped more than 20%. 20 to 30% out there. There's probably a few outliers that went a little bit more than that, but there was a ton of MSPs that went 30% in the opposite direction, like in the positive direction out there. So if you think about it, they've dropped 30% of revenue, uh, depending on what size they are, that's revenue. Then you've only got the net that you, or the gross and the net that you're taking out of that. There's Often there's not a lot that they've dropped out of there and you don't need this massive war chest of money sitting in your company um, to, to offset to find a middle ground about it so i would do, always yeah. recommend sort of keeping three months in an easy access account nowadays yeah. you're not gonna get but if you're a banking in the uk you've got somebody like starling or monzo you can have spaces just put the money aside there it's just another version of profit first and the envelope kind of keeps it segregated does it yeah so you've got yeah. three months money on hand there and then what we used to do is put six months worth of money above that into uh, a fixed interest account. Yeah. So again, you're not going to earn a lot of money, but you're going to be earning a few thousand pounds, few hundred, few thousand pounds a year on that sort of money. And then beyond that, of course, it's investment money. So yeah, you can put it in stocks and shares, uh, Bitcoin, uh, NFT, but that's money you can afford to lose. Or afford <laughs> yeah. is probably the wrong word there. <laughs> but like, I would consider Bitcoin, NFT, all of these sort of things. I'm being cautious about it, and I'm invested in it myself. But it is a gamble. Because we really don't know the way that's going to go. So it need, like any good gambler, you need to understand that if you lose that money, it's not going to have an effect on the rest of your life. Apart from emotionally, you'll be tearing your hair out. Thinking, <laughs> but holy heck, it's so much fun making 30 grand out of a dog picture, isn't it? <laughs> I wouldn't know. Every, every NFT I've gone has just done this. I would oh, has to it? get in at exactly the wrong time. So like, <laughs> if you're going to invest in NFTs, don't follow me. Because I'll sell you I, some I of my dogs the and my apes. You're going to have some of my dogs and apes. <laughs> Put out a, um, there's a video I put out a couple of weeks ago, Scott. You should you should watch that one. It shows you how to the guaranteed way to make profit off NFTs. Not guaranteed. <laughs> Those, uh, if, not you guaranteed. Uh, <laughs> if you haven't subscribed to Pete's, if you haven't subscribed to Pete's YouTube channel, he's got a channel. Is it just called YouTube.com/slash Pete Matheson? Is that the? I've, I've I've technically got three now. I've got Pete Matheson. <laughs> I've got not a business coach, and I've got just one called Pete Matheson online that I'm just going to put some finance stuff onto. Right. Okay. I, yeah, I, I like making the finance content, but it tanks every time I put it out on my main channel. So right. Yeah. Okay. Well, then go and check out Pete's shows because I'm seeing you put a few things out on NFTs and some fine personal finance stuff as well out there. Go and subscribe yeah, to all three of his. So I think I think the main thing with with NFTs, with crypto, with with, with stocks and shares is that your money sat in the bank gets worth less and less the longer it stays there because oh, of um, inflation. inflation. You know, yeah. Inflation it's goes up. up, everything else is going to cost more, all your suppliers, we always know 
you know, those emails come around from all of our vendors saying your prices are going up this year. It's going to be a few dollars extra per seat or you know, Microsoft price hikes, all that happens. And if you're keeping the money in your bank, yes, it's wise to keep some safe so you can need it if you, you know, get to it if you need it. But actually invest that money so that actually if you can get a 3%, 5%, you know, 10, 100% return on crypto. 5%, 5% you're probably keeping up with inflation nowadays at the moment. Exactly. So if you can invest it, then at <laughs> like least it's zero. keeping its value and hopefully earning more back versus having it just sat in like a savings account getting more yeah. in the UK now. It's like and- 0.5% interest. <laughs> And here's, here's the thing, though. This is the thing that most MSPs, myself included, when I had my MSP, didn't invest in enough. And that's our marketing engine, right? Like we've, if we've got cash and capital sitting in our business, one of the most powerful things that you can invest in in your business is your marketing engine. Because if you can build up this funnel and this, this series of nurturing and all of this, this engine that you then know that if you put X number of dollars in, you're going to get Y number of dollars back out. You, you typically, very apart from NFTs, you're going to find very few areas that you can put money in and get it back out at the same level that you can do in your own business as once you get your marketing engine working. Now, granted, it does take a long time to get a marketing engine working in a business. In an MSP, it can take three, six, nine months to get it working and, and five, 10, 15, 20, $30,000 worth of failed attempts sometimes and whatnot. But once you do get it working, you know, hey, I can put in $3,000 and for every single $3,000 that I put in, I get a client that's going to give me $1,500 per month in gross margin, then that's, you're not going to get that stuff sitting in a bank. You're not going to get it sitting in anything apart from NFTs. You're, you're about the only thing that's competitive to it. But that's a, a thing that a lot of people miss is that they they start to hoard it too much and go, well, I'm not going to focus on my marketing because I kind of want to hoard all this thing. And they're not building this growth engine in a business. And a growth engine in a business is such a powerful thing, not only for the business to grow, but also for your own own mind to put yourself at ease if you know that you can you've got this little engine that every single time you you need to grow you throw some dollars into it and that spits out clients in return that is such a comfortable place to be in in business and it takes some time to get there it took me years to get there because i'm a bit slow and made a few too many mistakes along the way but once i got there the, this entire business weight came off my shoulders. I'm now at this point where it's easy for me to print money nowadays because I know how to build a marketing engine inside a business and I know that I can get it to a point where the certain number of dollars I throw at it, it's going to return back to me in a certain number of time. And in the tech trial, we can do that within a month now. We have other scaling problems that are our problem. Not our marketing engine is not our problem. It's other end things that start to, to become the problem at that point in time. But it just is a it becomes a weight off your shoulders once you you build that engine out. And I think it's one of those things that if you're sitting on some cash, consider starting to focus a little bit more on that marketing engine inside your business. It is, it's hard, but nothing out there that's worthwhile is easy. And, uh, but, and it takes a bit of time, but, but holy heck, you can get some amazing numbers out of it, especially in the MSP space with B2B and these super, super awesome gross margin deals that with churn that is so low compared to most industries out there, you get awesome lifetime value added clients in, in this industry. I was going to say, it's, it's, it's absolutely right. investing in yourself. I agree with that. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. You're essentially investing in yourself, your own marketing engine, your own business. That's where you get the most ROI out of the lot by far. And, and it links from, back to yeah, dogs. the single biggest thing for any MSP to do is spend time on either acquiring new customers or retaining existing clients. Yeah. Yeah. That's how you can grow your business. That That's fundamentally the two things you need to focus on. So if you're making time every single ideally day of the of the, the week to work on that, this is the whole kind of working in it rather than working on it. On it. Uh, sorry, working on it rather than working in it side of things. The third one is selling more to existing day. clients. There's the three <laughs> three things. Dan Kennedy talks about those three. The first two that you mentioned then and the third one, which is the sell to sell more to existing clients, which is yes. another big one that, that all of us MSPs always fail at. Existing clients. <laughs> sorry, what was that, Pete? 
not, not getting nitpicky, but that kind of fits under the retaining existing clients. <laughs> right, it, it does, to a degree. Um, maybe, but I'll... Let's switch it up very briefly. I've got a really interesting, well, a question of uh, Scott, actually, because I know Scott's got some experience of um, like selling options for staff. So obviously you're looking to kind of retain staff, you know, give your staff kind of equity in your business. And there's a lot of different ways of doing this. But Scott, I, I believe you come up with a, um, a good solution that works well. I don't know if it works outside of the UK, but would love to know more and teach us, oh, Scott. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. So, you know, we're, we're two years old um, as a, you know, a consultancy house primarily, you know, that that's what we do. And so that means that we need big, clever, expensive consultant level resources because one of the commitments that we have in our business is not to have like super junior engineers handling those big projects for clients. And the idea is if you get on a call with us, you're speaking to somebody who can actually do what needs doing. Now that is bloody expensive. And that is difficult when you're a startup organization and you're bootstrapping like I did. And so, you know, I didn't take investment or finance or, or, or anything like that in order to start the business. It was me and it was my cash. Uh, Mark Hancock, that is such a true statement. He says the best investment I've made to this day is the tech drive. And I put it in my top two investments. It is one monthly fee that will never go away is the tech drive because you cannot beat that value. And you know, Nigel Moore is going to pull a Microsoft on us and that price is going to go up to $99 (laughs) a month. But it'll still be worth it. It'll it'll still be worth it. Did Um, you say 99 or 990? I might cancel at that stage. Uh, 99. <laughs> Everyone knows it's grandfathered pricing. Whatever price you join it, you keep for the lifetime you stay a member. We aren't going to, we, we don't plan on pulling the rug at this stage, but maybe I'll get greedy one day. I'm kidding. <laughs> I won't. But no, so, so like the challenge for me was look, you know, I've, I've got this, uh, this business, it's got potential. I see the gap, I see the niche in, in us having this specialist still at 365 and Azure. But in order for me to afford the guys, I need a huge amount of, of, of cash or customers or guaranteed projects or all those kind of things. And so what we, you know, what, what I had to do was come to an agreement where I'd say to the guys, guys, you know, I want you to join the business. It's risky. It's a startup, you know, we're kind of in this together. Um, but I can't pay you market rates. So I need to be able to, in some way, give you shares or share options or something. And so the, the whole commitment was from the beginning, we'll do something right to make this right. Um, please come, please join me. Um, and, and as we did, like every time we brought someone in, we liked five times the, the revenue. Okay. So it was, it was absolutely just that key turning of just, oh my God, now I've got the confidence to go out and we can close these projects because we have these great people in the team. So what we did was we said, initially it would be shares. We'll give you, you know, so many percents of shares. Now, as the business started to do this, and it really did because, hello, COVID, you know, we started just before the pandemic, it really cranked up. And so we're doing our forecast and our estimates and we're calculating our EBITDA against, you know, different line items. And, you know, we've got like managed services, we've got, you know, license revenues, we've got one-off professional services. All these things have different multiples and we're coming up with an enterprise value for the business, which would then give us an enterprise value for the shares. And so then we have to go to the guys and go say, hey, you need to now buy in for these shares. And by the way, it's going to cost you personally in tax about £30,000. To which both of them were like, I, I'm not taking a loan out for thirty grand to buy the shares in the business. I'm like, well, if we don't do it now and you wait until next month, it's going to be fifty grand because the business is doing this. And so those, those shares are just getting more and more expensive. Um, and so I, I went through a whole range of different options of how we could do shares, share options, you know, different schemes. And the, the, the advice was an enterprise management incentive scheme, an EMI scheme would be the best option. I don't know if that's just a UK centric thing, but this, this is the best option. It's a way to, 
give your guys share options. And so there's no financial burden on them now unless there's some kind of exit event in the future. So there's no tax burdens at all because they are options, they are shares. Um, And so everyone I spoke to said, hey, you know, this is like 15,000 pounds to set up an EMI scheme. And I'm like, oof, I ain't paying 15,000 pounds. There's there's only two people I need to get in the share scheme and, and me. That seems like a lot. What else is there? And you kind of get trapped in this world of there's an accountant who knows the accountancy things. There's a legal person who knows the legal things and, and one or two bits of paperwork that you need to draw up. And then there's an insurance guy who knows the insurance side of things. But no one knows the entire process. No one knows what you need to do out of all them. They just like you get bounced between all these three different people and, and four different people, actually, because there was someone else who had to do all the documents for companies' house and the legal registration. I was like, oh, my God. So we spent months going around in circles. And then I just came across this platform called Vested, V-E-S-T-D.com, Vested.com. And they essentially run the whole enterprise management scheme for you as a SaaS application. And I'm like, now you're speaking my language. A SaaS app, I can get on with this. Let me have a look. Like $150 a month. And the entire scheme is managed. They do your valuation. They do the share options. They do the distribution to your staff. They do the legal paperwork. They manage the crap table. They update company's house, which is a legal requirement for us. They do everything. The agreements are all in there. You do the whole thing. I have the whole cap table up on the screen. Super duper simple to do. And like the best part of it is there's just a flow chart that just goes, you're here. Your next step is this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, and then you're done. And I'm like, wow, it's refreshing to see the whole process laid out. And, you know, yeah, in the long run, it might cost us a little bit more than doing it individually with, you know, with the individual people. But I, I wasn't getting the right answers from the individual people because no one understood the whole process. So what this allowed me to do was get the right guys in, get them into the business, build the, the revenue, build all of our you know, customers, build the contacts, build the confidence that, hey, we're actually really, really good at this stuff. And we've got the right team now, but not have the cash outlay for those huge salaries. And the team are also invested to stay in because they now want to stay. They've got these share options. They're going to be worth something. You know, I'm not saying that they're not worth anything today, but like they can see how that grows. And one of the things that we do or in here is we are entirely transparent about the finances. Okay, so we regularly sit down and go, here's how much cash is in the bank. Here's how many invoices are outstanding. Here's what we've got in draft quotes. Here's the projects that we're working on. Here's what our cash flow looks like. And we do that regularly. And I'll tell you why is because we've been in a business previously that went through 17 or 18 mergers and acquisitions. And there was so much secrecy around the finances. People would just disappear one day and then not come back. And their job was suddenly dispersed across other people. And it was all because the PE house at the top just needed to focus on profits and EBITDA. And so people would just disappear out of the business. And there was just so much secrecy around finance and operations that we just went, that's not going to be us. So from day one, we've been transparent. We run profit first. It's been it's been life-changing for me because I was one of those owner, what do you call it, like a player manager, uh, I guess. And I'm running the business going, hey, you know, we'll get to the end of the year and then I'll probably take a dividend because, you know, we'll have all this money by then. And as you go through, you're like every month, you're like, there's no money. We just, mm-hmm. we keep spending the money that we get. And so to get profit first and go right now, we you know, put money aside uh, so that Papa can get paid. That that really works. It made a huge difference. Um but now, so this this vested platform, the share option platform, it's a really nice way 
um, of getting you guys incentivized, bringing in high quality talent. And I do mean high quality. This, this business isn't about me. It's about the team that we have. And they are amazing. They are the guys that make the stuff work. And for me to be able to pay them the right way and incentivize them the right way, all came down to us working with Vested. Um, and I know this sounds like a, a shill or an advert for Vested. I don't get anything or make anything from these guys. I can just tell you that it's it's something that's really worked for me as a you know kind of nimble startup uh, MSP that's been going for just, just two years in September. It was the great way for us to do this. With um, So with it over there, and it, it might be different over there to – to it here, but um, do you did the company have to loan them the amounts to buy in, or did you gift them the amounts to buy in? No, so that's how it would have been if it was shares. We would have, you know, I was gifting them the shares, but they still had. You the gifted tax them the them. options too, though, because normally options still come at a, a strike price on them or a price on an option. But did you? Yeah. So the way that the the way that we've done the options is I've gifted the options because yeah. of that salary compromise that they've right. accepted, yeah. uh, and yeah. they've both taken pay cuts right to to join the business. Right. Um, but they've they've got the share options and they attract those share options every month for the first right, so three so years. You've got a click on investing schedule in there for it as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and now the other thing is like if at any point there's an exit event, someone comes along and just buys up Cloud Nexus, then yeah. they immediately vest. And so they are right. protected in that way as well. Right. But yeah, so this thing just accrues over the first three years and then they've got all of their share options after that three years. Right. And then it's, you know, whenever, then, whenever there's something happens with the business, that's when they right. will get, you know. And they didn't have to pay any tax on receiving those options then? No. Well, no. Okay. So the only tax that's payable is if there's an exit event and those shares oh, okay. are essentially, those share options are is it, it's in the UK that, that's. Yeah. Yeah, right. exactly. That's good. It's so it's been so needed for so darn long because giving employees shares or options has been a taxable event out here in Australia. And I think we've got yeah. eStops now, the employee share ownership program or whatever that has done something similar. It's been, I haven't looked at it intrinsically, but I think it's something similar where you don't get the tax on the option anymore out there or it's taxed at the other yeah. end of the event, at the exit end of the event. So you, your staff don't have all these horrible upfront tax things, which are just ridiculous for incentivizing. Well, essentially, that was, that was EMI is over thing. here in the UK. Oh, sorry. No, go, go, go. Okay, I was going to say, so EMI is essentially here in the UK. Is It's essentially just a promise. You're promising to yeah. um, buy shares today at today's price, but you can buy them in future. So you can sign everything today, and in five years' time, you can buy them, but you can yeah. buy them at today's just price. just a standard option contract. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So you, you then choose whether or not you want to exercise that in yeah, yeah. five years' time when those options yeah, yeah. open up to you. That's yeah, awesome. Are you but so the, yeah, the, the oh, whole reason invested was good there was just because it, it it managed yeah. the entire process end to end. And once you start getting more people on the team as well, this is cap table management of moving things in and out and that vesting thing is just it's very onerous work. It's horrible work. And um, yeah, and yeah, yeah. And this is just real simple now. Yeah, right. Awesome. I have seen a few recently out there that do it. What I what I'm really excited for is the day when blockchain merges with that and the whole lot is done on public blockchains. And uh and you see the whole equity management based on whether it's NFTs or tokens or or a blockchain thing underneath that whole thing will be awesome because it's all a public ledger then. And it makes the process and at that point in time, I suspect we'll get to the point where liquidity will be available as well. And so you'll be able to list some of these small cap companies on small scale offering board somewhere so you'll be able to have some liquidity to those shares as well uh before waiting for the big exit event which is going to be awesome yeah. for for kind of those smaller companies that can't afford to get up on a nasdaq or an asx or whatever the, the london stock exchange or whatever you'll be able to oh, yeah. have all those little liquidity places out there and i'm sure there's going to be a bunch of process that the government's put over that to try and protect everybody's interest in there but um hopefully it's going to be a whole lot easier than than the public the true public markets out there it'll be interesting oh, totally. 
Yeah. Pete, are you using that in yours as well? Are you Have you been giving out any equity to your team in your new venture? Oh, someone's gone mute. Hang on. Hey. Oh, no, he's there. Hang on. Oh. And what about you? Now, Richard, you 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 work with mostly contractors, though, don't you? So you're yeah. I did. I want to give a shout out for anybody in the UK, though. I know we've got a lot of UK audience. There's a chap called Adam Morris uh, down in the southwest. Used to run an MSP Avagio. He exited that business last year, I think it was, and he's actually running a business that helps MSPs with their financial decisions. Uh, understanding how to get the books in order and to do all of, uh, you know, to benchmark yourself. So Adam Morris, if you find him on LinkedIn, is a really good guy for good resource for UK uh, people watching. Cool, cool. Have Can we you got hear you me back? now? Oh, we do. I was just saying, Sorry, you, the question? You I was just having to, I had to swap my chargers around because my laptop was running out of battery. Oh, <laughs> all good. Have you looked at any giving uh, staff options and incentives in your business or did you do that in your MSP at all? We We didn't in ours out here. But did you and so yours? We, we had an EMI scheme before, you did, but did you? in this in this new scheme at the moment, I I basically we're contractors. Everyone's You're contractors, contractors as well. Like when Richard and myself EMI, are all pretty much contractors now. But, yeah, um, I, I like uh, it that way. It's a lot easier. It is. It is. <laughs> Employees are such a no. We won't go down that road. Yeah. <laughs> there is there is absolute benefit. A valuable resource. We're going to say yes. What Scott says, that's exactly what I was going to say. It is. So I'm going to move on very briefly just because I'm aware of time at the moment. I just wanted to very quickly touch on pensions, mainly because um, certainly I, I know when I was running my MSP, you're forced here in the UK to offer pensions to your staff uh, as a pension scheme. But lots of business owners forget to actually sort themselves out and have a pension for themselves. So 100%, you know, if you can do profit first and have a pension account, make sure you're putting money aside. But do make sure you are putting money into a pension as a business director or a business owner. It's one of those things. It's a great place to get some tax-free savings. It reduces your corporation tax over here as well by, by putting money into your pension. So just a really quick point to make sure you are t taking care of your own own self and having pension. And, and that's uh, our equivalent. Pension pension our equivalent out here is um, superannuation, it's called. And and we have the exact same out here. Is it, It's a legal requirement. So we have to give us like 10.5%, I think it's that now, of a, a salary we have to pay every single quarter to any employee. Um, dedicated super fund, but um, but again, most MSP or business owners out here forget themselves a lot. And I've had a few friends get to sixty five, they go to retire, and they go, "Oh crap, I didn't pay myself any of my pension or my super over the last thirty years, and so I can't retire right now." They don't think about it until then. So it's such an important point because I, I, I can't remember the rules out here now because I've always paid super to myself one hundred percent since I started. But I think as a business owner, you're not required to still out here in Australia, uh, which means people still go ah well it's an expense i don't need at the moment not realizing that if you don't do it now you you're going to get to that 40 50 60 70 whenever you want to retire and you don't have that little that little fun sitting there for you if you're uh, if you're here in the uk as pete just said massive fan of pension b so pension b is, is i was going to call them a startup but they've been going for a few years now but they enable you to combine all your different pensions if you've been an employee in the past but right. the best thing about pension b is They've got an app and they make it super easy just to see what you're earning, you know, what your expected pension will be when you retire. Obviously, some of these are like finger in the air uh, sort of uh, uh, calculations there. But I've got really excited about my pension as a result of Pension B because I can see what I'm putting in, what I need to put in uh, and, you know, that type of thing. So the pension calculator, really, really strong for it. Obviously, we are not financial advisors on Behind the Geeks. <laughs> Do not give financial advice. Our advice is worth what you've paid for it, which is absolutely nothing. So, 
If if you listen to me, I'll tell I, you to put I, it all into to, to dogs and eight dogs. In that note, we we run what's called a self managed super fund out here in Australia, where we take pen, our pension control into our own hands, and we had to go set up trusts and and separate corporate structures to manage our own superannuation. And we took all our money out um, of the the pension funds that it was in a couple of years ago. And in that time, we have like, we used to get. A, they used to make us about 5% um, when it's net of all their fees in the, the super funds each year. And we were in that for many years. And um, and I think so far in the last two years, we're up 400% by putting it under our control. And that's because we put a little bit of it in the crypto market in there with a bit of risk. And that went a little bit crazy. You some NFTs through that as well. Not through the super fund. Um, only crypto through the super fund. Not yet. Maybe. Um, we've got to, out here, the super funds are pretty strict on um, legal requirements of, of reporting different things. And so you can only use very certain exchanges to buy your stuff through that have the proper statements in there that an auditor will sign off on because you have to get yearly audited and signed off on it. And um, you probably could put some NFTs through a super fund, but you're going to struggle to find an auditor that's going to sign off on it properly. Whereas crypto, it's pretty easy. There's a few exchanges out here that are completely SMSF re, um, compliant and you can put them in. You just got to figure out how... Are, um... When, when I sold the business, I spoke to my pensions company because um, I, I was getting like a 5 6% return, something along yeah. those lines, which, which was all right. But I'd made like a 80% return on the few months after <laughs> selling my business because I had the time to sit there and look at what yeah. I wanted to invest in. So I went to them and said, yeah. like, can we move my investments? I actually went to them and said, can you just take all my money and put it into Tesla? <laughs> they were just, no, we, we can't do that. that the last week. We can't offer it. And um, I, yeah, again, uh, it went very well. And I, I think this is the thing. Whenever we met with a pensions advisor, they run that whole risk kind of assessment and say, how risky are you? Like, are you risk averse? Do you want to invest in some risky things? And on paper, I come up as a very safe investor. Like, I, I don't, like, put my money in un, unsafe places. But then to me, Tesla's a safe investment. Bitcoin's a safe investment. Yeah, correct. So I mean, it's yeah. just your perception on what's safe risky and subjective. The bottom line here has got to be for everybody, though, you know, when we start out as young as uh, young men and women, we're like, oh, the future is so far away. We don't need to think about a pension. But there's this little thing called compound interest. As soon as you start contributing, you know, as young as yeah. you possibly can, it, it just accumulates and accumulates. I, you know, I started my pension. I think I was in my mid 30s. So wish I'd have done it just five years earlier. Because it would have been worth another extra twenty five percent or so to me now. So get yeah. on board with the pension. Time. It doesn't have to be boring. Yeah, just go and take. I did it. some calculations because the um, the compound interest calculator really fascinates me. It sounds really stupid, <laughs> and really boring, and geeky, but you can literally, if you invest, like I think it's like fifty pounds a month from like fifty pounds a month from when you're born, you'll be like a multi millionaire by the time mm. you hit retirement. Yeah, just from compound and interest. I read an article the other day somewhere that was talking about that exact thing, but it um, but it said if you want to create generational wealth for your kids' grandkids or your kids' kids, if you did that fifty bucks a week or whatever it is, and you started off when you're eighteen, by the if it, in one hundred and twenty years, it's it's like a couple of billion dollars. And you just go, holy yeah. crap! Like fifty bucks a week, and and I can create like this amazing nest egg for someone just only a generation or two below me is just crazy. Uh, with yeah. the power so, so we are putting, uh, personally speaking, at the moment, I'm now putting fifty pounds a month into my kids' ISA funds yeah, awesome. and fifty pounds a month into their pension. So I, I want to kind of get them set up for for the future, and hopefully they'll continue that through to their retirement as well. That's really, all like like the next generation often does: spend it all on stupid <laughs> stuff in our teens. Like dog <laughs> NFTs. NFTs as well. So. Dog <laughs> NFTs. We, I think we need to have a next episode on NFTs. Um, but again, don't take any of our <laughs> advice because you'll lose the lot. Um, and I'm just so Lyndon, my money hello, to you I just saw Lyndon 
pop in here and he says um, out here in Australia, it depends on how you pay yourself with that super superannuation. So I've in my MSP and in my previous business and in this current business, I've always paid myself as a PAYG employee and just taken a salary every single month. Um, I don't, we do all our drawings and whatever at the end of the year. So that's why we're required then to pay our super, but you can pay yourself in dividends and I don't think you need to worry about super then. But I, I like the the discipline of the way we do it is it kind of forces us to put that money into our super. Um, but anyway, each to your own, you got to go and figure out what works for you and go and find some real licensed advisors that know how to give real advice, not us techie guys that break everything. And, not financial um, advice. And <laughs> everything that we're saying here, all these crazy gains that we've made, I have made like 400% just in my super fund in the past few years. It's in a bull market that's in full-on tulip mania with all sorts of craziness and, and money market manipulation going on in the background. So it is not normal returns. This stuff is, is not long-term. Um, it's likely to the way I've got my things structured is, is fairly safe in there, but there's a lot, like there's a lot of risk in there as well that I manage in certain ways. And so you've got to be, you've got to know that we are in this crazy bull market. That's got, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like behaviors that are, are not normal behavior patterns that we're not normally seeing into a market. So do your own, <laughs> be careful is my <laughs> words there. Um, I think it's time to wrap up. We try to keep these things to an hour. We could go for 10. Uh, we're already on the hour. Um, for those of you, so we didn't mention this the last couple of times, but for those of you who have been on these and you you haven't met one or all of us in person yet, I'm just going to do a thirty quick 30-second roundtable of everybody on the call. So me, I, I run the Tech Tribe, um, an MSP IT business or an MSP community out there where we teach and coach and help MSPs. But uh, I'll go around the rest of you guys. So Richard, uh, Richard has written some books for MSPs that you can find up on Amazon. He's got a great podcast for MSPs called Tub Talk. Uh, he's got a great blog for MSPs at tub, tubblog.co.uk. Uh, and we put all of these links. We're going to start putting them all in the show notes now below here. So if you want to go and follow all of us, one of us, none of us, you can find all those links down there. Uh, Scott runs a, 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 what we call a nimble MSP that's doing things in um, doing things the new way that you should be running an MSP. He's taking all the things that we probably all learnt. And if we were to go and start an MSP nowadays, and he's doing all things the what what some would say the right way nowadays is is going cloud only and cloud first and and being what I heard the term the other day, born in the cloud. Like his business is born in the cloud. He doesn't have that legacy debt that uh, a lot of us MSPs had with um, our infrastructure programs and whatnot. So he's he also loves giving back to the community and hangs out in the tech tribe and sharing his things and his wisdom. So he's on the show doing all of that. And then Pete runs about 74 different businesses, uh, <laughs> 65 different YouTube channels. Uh, but a couple of Pete's main programs is number one, he does one-on-one uh, -on -one business coaching with MSPs, I think primarily in the UK, but I think you might have a few clients abroad as yeah. well, Pete. And that's through notabusinesscoach.com. So it's not really coaching, it's non-coaching or uncoaching or whatever you call it. But as you can tell, like, Pete knows his stuff. He's been around the traps. He's run an MSP, he's sold an MSP, um, and and he's helping MSPs learn from those mistakes as well, you know, this this one on one basis and having some some great testimonials out there. And then he's also got some YouTube channels, which is your other primary areas of focus. So uh, the links to the show notes will be if we're if you're watching this on YouTube, they'll be in the the description somewhere below. And I think Pete, you also do video stuff for MSPs over in the UK as well. Do you still you've got yes, a, an interest in the video space for MSPs as well? One of those four hundred businesses is just a basically a video video marketing agency. So if right. there are any MSPs or even vendors that need some help with their video, then that's that's what we're here for. Right, awesome. And and Richard as well. Back to you, Richard. I know there's another thing that you offer, and that's rent Richard's brain. Um, if you want to jump on a call and and bounce some ideas with Richard, um, rent his brain and uh, or talk to him about all things wrestling because he's a, a WrestleMania fan or Wrestle Pro fan or whatever the heck you call it. 
Um, you can go to his website and find the link that goes into to rent a Richard's brain or jump on with Pete. Um, or if you really want to come and hang out and hear what this tech tribe thing is all about, if you're not in the tech tribe, go and check out, um, the techtribe.com slash geeks. We set up a URL for it now. So if you go to the techtribe.com slash geeks, you'll get a, a 40% off, um, your first month access at the wildly expensive price of 50 bucks a month in there. Uh, but that's a little bit about all of us because we didn't do any intros or any anything about all of us. We just started babbling on about MSP stuff on the first episode. So that's who we are. Um, thank you, gentlemen, for the talk again. We will be back at the same time next week. We don't have a topic decided on yet, but we'll have to come up with some sort of topic. Um, probably not NFTs because everyone not will then NFTs, go and buy a bunch of NFTs, spend all the money on their company's balance sheet, and then blame us when they lose the lot and will be the, <laughs> the fault of the demise of, of all these MSPs out there. So it probably won't be on M NFTs, but it will be on something very specific to the MSP space, a hot topic that we're all hearing about at the moment, and uh, we will do a deep dive into it. Uh, if you've got any ideas or thoughts on topics that you would like to see us dive into, shoot us an email or where's the best place to get that? Probably shoot an email to help at the techtribe.com is probably the easiest place to at the moment or shoot it in the comments. I did see someone talk, want to talk about finding staff in here. Um, Samuel wanted to ask about finding staff. So maybe we have a conversation about recruiting and finding staff and, and talking about, I saw someone else ask about VAs with Richard. And and VAs, yeah, and VAs. So, so maybe next week it might be bother about staff or outsourcing and VAs and, and outsource help desks and stuff like that. Cause we've all got a bunch of experience in, um, in that space as well. And, and, when I say experience, I mean mistakes made and lessons learned, um, which is the best type of experience. I always joke about it, but it really is the best type of experience out there. And you can learn a lot from people before you that have, have uh, made the mistakes and learned the lessons. So that's all for me. Have an amazing week, everybody. Anyone else got any things you want to throw in before we click the end screen button? Buy an NFT. Nope. All good. <laughs> no more NFTs. Buy mine while they're up. Buy mine. Up. We're equally split here. I think Scott and me is like, don't buy NFTs. Peter and Nigel, buy NFTs. <laughs> only, only because I've lost money. That's 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 all. I'm just sour grapes. Right. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's I'm, I'm going I'm I'm to be playing with this. If you can see this, <laughs> I'm playing with this this week. It's the uh, Surface Duo number two. Oh. So I'll be playing with that this week. You have to. Uh, I'll let you know if it's uh, if it's any good. <laughs> Very good. All right, guys and gals, thank you for joining us. I'm going to click the answering button. Have an awesome week, and we will see you at the same time, same place next week. Bye for now. Thanks so much. <laughs>